Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined, as always, by our fearless leader, the managing editor of Horns 24-7, the one and only Taylor Estes. Taylor, how's it going? Chip, it's going well. It's good to talk to you since we were off the air uh, last week while you were on vacation. So I know. Did you miss me? Did you miss me? I mean, kind of. I mean, I didn't have to explain, you know, how to do a lot of things last week to anybody. So it was weird. <laughs> I mean, I mean you. <laughs> must have been a nice week for you. Just so chilling. How was, <laughs> yeah. How was your vacation, though? It was good. It was good. Went up to Colorado, where my son is going to be going to school. And just, uh, you know, took in, took in the mountains, did a little bit of work. A little bit of work, still did the insider. And um, and so, yeah, batteries charged. Next week, we will be headed off to Big 12 football media days in Big D Dallas, City of Dreams. And how about that? Football yeah. season right around the corner. Well, start of fall camp right around the corner, Taylor. Yeah, yeah. And and this will be the first media days since 2019. Since last year, they did not have Big 12 media days. So it'll be good to kind of see our our friends in the conference. There's a lot of them out there that are, you know, great reporters that cover all the different teams. So I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to a little bit more FaceTime that we've gotten a little bit of with Steve Sarkeesian um, next week in Dallas. So I'm, I'm excited. I mean, Football's in the air. It's always in the air on the flagship podcast, as our listeners well know, but it's definitely in the air now. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for that. How about you? Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting year in the league. We'll get into that um, because, you know, Texas is sort of a wild card with Steve Sarkeesian and a new quarterback and, and Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinator, who I think is fantastic. And I think is sort of, UT's X factor this year. If he can line these guys up and, and, and do what he does, do what he did at Washington in 2016, when he held opponents under 18 points per game, that, that will work. That would put Texas right in the mix for a big 12 title contention, I think in November, but we'll, we'll talk about that. And, and how about this last week? Well, um, we were away. Texas ends Stanford's 25 straight Directors' Cup victories uh, by being named the most successful collegiate athletic program for that school year. That school year being a pandemic year, 2020-2021. Uh, three national championships, 13 conference championships, 13 top 10 finishes. And Texas, which only competes in 20 sports, uh, 
breaks Stanford's hold on the director's cup. Stanford competes in 36 sports and, and does well in sports that Texas doesn't even have like gymnastics and water polo. And so quite an accomplishment Taylor for the Texas Longhorns who who've been around the top three and in the top 10, but have never won the director's cup. I mean, only North Carolina who won the very first one in 93, 94, and then Stanford has won the rest until now, Texas claiming that director's cup. Is this a big deal? A little deal? No deal? What's your uh, take on this? I think you have to think of it being a big deal, um, not just for the fact that Texas ended a 25-year streak, which is amazing for Stanford. I mean, let's let's not you know, brush that off at all. I mean, that's that's really impressive for the Cardinal out there in Palo Alto. But um, I think it's huge, especially Chip, because it was a pandemic year. Now, I think there's a there's a little bit of like a mixed bag when it comes to that, because there are folks on one side saying it's pandemic year doesn't count. I think if anything, it counts more because these athletes had to go through so much more, you know, things away from the sport just to compete every single week. That should not be overlooked. I mean, those are some off off the field, off the court, out of the pool, whatever you call it, type of um, distractions that they never usually have. I mean, the COVID testing weekly. I mean, how many times did the football team even get? I know they weren't part of the winning part, but you know, how many times did they have to get tested every single week for six months straight? And that goes for all of the sports that you know competed this year. So I think it's I personally think it's a huge deal that Texas not only could end that streak, but also do so in such a, just a weird kind of crappy year, to be honest, for all of, all of athletics um, at the college level. What, what's your take on it, Chip? Yeah. I mean, think of where Texas has been really since the, the dark ages of the Steve Patterson uh, athletic director tenure, the 22 month failed tenure of Steve Patterson after DeLos Dodds. Um, is basically forced out uh, following 32 years as athletic director at Texas, all kinds of morale problems and, and poor performance and, and some questionable coaching hires. Now look at where Texas is under Chris Del Conte with the alignment of President Jay Hartzell and Regents Chair Kevin Eltife. There's a winning culture in the Texas athletic department that is palpable. Steve Sarkeesian mentioned it in his speech at the uh, uh, Austin boys and girls clubs luncheon, um, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago when he said, how about this, all the other sports at Texas? And he said, you know, this is a place where you come to be successful and, and Chris Beard will get into what's going on in terms of the recruiting that he's doing because Texas is quickly becoming a preseason top five team in men's basketball and, and football of course is, you know, recruiting well and make sure you're checking out all of our podcasts at horns 24 um, seven with Mike Roach's recruiting podcast and Jeff Howe's Longhorn blitz. And and so the culture has changed. It's a winning culture now at Texas. It used to be, where are we? What happened? Where are we going? And and so and how about the one of those national championships, men's swimming and diving? Eddie Reese 
uh, unretires last week. Eddie Reese, who's won 15 national championships, and he sits down with Chris Del Conte. They're trying to figure out his emeritus status. And Del Conte says, okay, so what, what are you planning? And he says, I'll, I'll come in uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon, and, and then like four mornings, including Saturday morning. And Del Conte started laughing and said, well, I'll give you two choices. You can do that and make no money, or you can unretire and we'll just pay you your salary. And Eddie Reese said, okay, I'll unretire. And so he's not going to go to all the dual meets, Taylor. He loves, he said, he told me he loves coaching practice. That's, that's where the swimmers get better, get faster. He said, by the time they leave practice and go to the meet, they're ready. And, and so you got an 80 year old legend who's going to keep going. And it's, it's a great little story uh, and certainly feeds into that director's cup uh, victory. And, and so, you know, some interesting news. And then you wrote about this um, earlier this week, of course, name image likeness under underway July 1st, everybody is able to uh, <laughs> begin you know, having their student athletes uh, earn money from their name, image, and likeness, and and so it's it's all guns ablazing. Everybody's trying to figure out what's what's good, what's not. I mean, the University of Miami football team gets a five hundred and forty thousand uh, dollar contribution from a gym uh, to endorse their gym. I mean, it's it's going to be wild Taylor, but, um, Casey Thompson, the quarterback at Texas as, and you're way more hip than I am when it comes to social media. I didn't, I thought cameo was a band that sang the song word up, uh, from the eighties, but cameo is I'm like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. You don't even know what I'm talking about, but, uh, Casey Thompson is doing, uh, has announced that he's going to donate proceeds from, uh, his, relationship with cameo what is cameo taylor but he's going to donate the proceeds from this uh to no child hungry uh you wrote about it tell us what's going on there yeah so i mean from my understanding cameo is essentially a platform where celebrities and athletes and you know public figures can charge money for fans to then they will create a customized type of video shout out essentially is what it is and um, I know Bijan Robinson is on there. Um, DeMarvian Overshawn is on there. And then Casey Thompson is where Casey Thompson's is unique is he is um, claiming that he is going to pledge all of the proceeds that he gets while for doing these cameo shout outs to the organization. No, no kid hungry to help end, uh, you know, child hunger in the United States of America. So that was really cool to me, um, especially in this era, you know, this is a, it's, we kind of joked about it earlier before name image like came in. We talk about the rec the transfer portal being the wild, wild west. This 100% right now is the wild, wild west. And, and I understand, you know, these athletes want to be able to finally make money um, when these universities makes millions and millions of dollars off of their name, you know, as a whole off of their name, image and likeness. So it's a it's a time where, you know, they're all trying to get their bag, we'll call it. And uh, but Casey Thompson's using it for a really good cause. And I think that is important to remember, you know, there is these, these athletes have a huge platform and, you know, he hasn't even started a game yet. And so he's willing to do that, I think is a really amazing 
you know, gesture and um, a good sign of what type of character he has to be willing to, you know, pocket all this money, but he's claiming he's going to donate it. So kudos to Casey. I think that is awesome, you know, and, um, and, but anyway, even if it's not donating it, I think it's, it's really cool, you know, that these athletes are able to do that, especially with this cameo thing. Bijan Robinson, I was reading some of the reviews on his cameo page and um, somebody you know, paid for him to do a video, send it to their son and just giving him advice about high school. And I thought that's cool too. So it's, it's really unique. It's definitely the wild, wild west. Um, but I think that, you know, we're going to see some really cool stories come from this and Casey Thompson's definitely one of them. Yeah. It's um, I mean, I, I've, I'm in full support of student athletes being able to, to benefit in some way from their name, image likeness. And, and so We'll see how creative these deals get. I mentioned the $540,000 from a, a gym owner in Florida, you know, paying, basically it's going to come out to $500 per football player uh, for them to have this relationship with this gym. And, and that's great. That's great. Um, if you listened to the flagship podcast interview with Bob Bowlesby, he said only a few are going to make, any real money on this, a bunch won't work hard enough to make the money. And, and so we're, we're watching every day yeah. is a new experience in this name image likeness world. And so uh, kudos to Casey Thompson for, for donating proceeds uh, from his uh, cameo shout outs to, to help uh, fight child hunger. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about, Chip, the way that this is going to go is right now, you know, it's July and these athletes, if you're, you know, if they're a college football player, they're more than likely taking summer school classes on campus. I'm curious how, how, how many players may be focusing a little bit more on that side rather than academics or the sport itself, because that's where this can get really tricky. Um, if they aren't academically eligible, guess what? They're not going to be making much money on their name, image, and likeness. There's a lot of different, you know, a lot of different avenues, I guess, to that this could go. I do think it's a good start. Um, I was a little, I thought it was funny that the NCAA, they announced what, on June 30th um, at like 4.20 in the afternoon that they were going to agree to this. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, I'm surprised I didn't come down to 1159 knowing how the uh, NCAA works. I mean, I mean, they came in seven hours early. I was like, whoa, look at them being proactive after 20 months of them talking about doing this and they haven't done Jack, you know what, but at least they, they, you know, made it a little bit fair for all of college athlete, athletes, at least at this point to be able to profit rather than the States who put the laws in place. So it's definitely an interesting time. It's, I mean, it's weird how this is really shifting even our jobs, you know? I mean, I'm looking to see which athletes at Texas are announcing deals. And, you know, it's, it's just a whole different ball game right now. But I think it's a step in the right direction. It just needs to see how this goes in football season and how it impacts academics too. Yep, Texas has been, been touting that their brand, because it's so big, it'll help student athletes with their individual uh, ability to profit off of name image likeness. So we'll see um, the, the first year reports on this are going to be really interesting because there does need to be a paper trail. And I um, that means we can 
get the public records and take a look and see how all this uh, plays out eventually. But right now it's all uh, in the neonatal stages and we're, we're following along. And Taylor, also another piece of news before we get into a little bit of, uh, you know, what we're looking forward to for the football season, Jake Smith, the wide receiver who announced that he was going into the transfer portal has now announced he's going to go to USC where former Texas coaches, Craig Nivar and Todd Orlando and former director of recruiting, Brian Carrington are, and where Malcolm Epps and Xavier Alford and running back Keontae Ingram also have transferred from Texas uh, to become Trojans. So how about that? There's a little little pipeline there from the from the now former Longhorns and former Longhorn coaches to USC. Yeah, it's kind of funny when that news came down um, of Jake Smith. Obviously, he announced that he was going to transfer a couple weeks ago. But in our we have a Horns twenty four seven staff group text, and Chip sends the tweet in the group text, and Mike's like, "Oh, I'm so surprised." <laughs> That's true because. Those those uh, former Texas coaches are are killing it, honestly, in the transfer portal of getting those guys. And I think that is important for those players. I mean, they've developed, even if it's not their position coaches, they still had developed relationships with these guys on the recruiting trail, especially, um, you know, Craig Niver, Brian Carrington, a group of those those guys that were on Tom Herman's first staff at Texas. They were monster recruiters. I mean, you can people want to bash them for their coaching, which is still, I think, silly. But um, the one thing nobody can bash is their ability to recruit and their ability to build relationships. And that's what college football really is all about. And that just goes to show how well those relationships were developed because these players, you know, they haven't been around those coaches for at least a year or almost a year and a half, you know, since they all were fired. So um, I think, well, except for Brian Carrington, I know, but, you know, the, the, um, Orlando and Craig Niver. So this is a huge testament to their ability to not just develop relationships, but keep those relationships that they developed. And I mean, you know, I want to see these guys just land on their feet, the Texas players, you know, um, Jake Smith, I think is a really talented guy. He's a West coast kid. I mean, not from the coast, he's from Arizona, but still, you know, he's more, you know, used to being on that side of the country. So this could be a really good fit for him. But I definitely was not surprised, really, when Jake Smith put it out there that he was going to USC just because of how this is all played out. And I don't think you were either. Right, right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who actually has an impact there at USC. It's it's one thing to to get in the transfer portal. And 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 then the question becomes, who's going to have an impact? And I think Keontae Ingram brings a little something different in terms of uh, the ability to catch the football out of the backfield. Um, and then Jake Smith, you know, certainly is talented. He's got to learn their offense, Graham Harrell's offense. And then, you know, Xavier Alford is a guy who could potentially be in the starting lineup. So we'll see what, uh, what happens there. And um, Malcolm Epps, you know, six foot six, kind of big receiver, tight end. We'll see. But um, maybe it's Xavier Alford who who uh, has the the first impact. I don't know if the biggest impact because Xavier Alford might be seen as a a potential starter for USC. Okay, Taylor, we're getting into that time of year where I start to pull out my my uh, checkerboard of 
of all the teams in the Big 12 start looking at each game, personnel, how this season's going to play out. And I wrote in the morning brew this week that I think it, I think Oklahoma and Iowa State are certainly justified as the preseason picks to be in the Big 12 title game. I will go along with that. I, I think Iowa State, I know it's blasphemy to, to pick Iowa State to beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. But man, if ever there was a year, Matt Campbell, one of the best coaches in college football, with 19 starters back from a team that won the regular season in the Big 12 last year, but lost to OU in the Big 12 title game after beating OU and Ames earlier uh, in that season. I think this is going to be a fascinating year for both of those teams. And then you've got Texas and TCU to me are teams that are, are right there. And, you know, TCU, we've, we've talked about, I mean, Max Duggan now is a, is a junior. He's beaten Texas twice. That sucks for Texas. Um, but they've got Zach Evans at running back. They've got former Longhorn commitment, Quentin Johnston at wide receiver who led the big 12 and yards per catch last year with 22.1 yards per catch. And of course, Gary Patterson always has a defense and Gary's talking about his horn frogs, like his teams, you know, that went to the Rose bowl and, and had a chance to be in the college football playoff in, in 2014. So I think that those are your top four teams in the big 12 and, and if Casey Thompson or I think Casey Thompson's going to start the season at quarterback, that's just me. I, I think he came out of the spring with a little better pocket presence, a little bit more touch. We'll see. It's a long fall camp. Um, but if, if Casey Thompson, the veteran who's, you know, had to wait, 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 his turn is truly as prepared as Mike Yersich said he is. And as we think he is, and the quarterback position actually can be a plus and not some work in progress. I think Texas defensively, Pete Kwiatkowski is going to figure it out, even if we don't know who the middle linebacker is yet. And, and so I think it's going to be a fun year. And the, the crazy thing for Texas is they're going to play TCU. Uh, they'll play Texas Tech to open Big 12 play in Austin. Then they go to Fort Worth right before they play OU. And that's, that's going to take all of this team's focus to be able to go to Fort Worth, somehow win that game, and then go right back to Dallas the next weekend and, and try to fend off Spencer Rattler and Alex Grinch's defense. So I think it's, uh, you know, we're going to know by game six just how, you know, Texas is, is going to stack up in this, this Big 12 race. And I do think West Virginia is a team you kind of have to keep an eye on because Neil Brown is, even though they lost Tony Fields and, and some of their studs on defense, they return almost everyone on offense. And, and I think their defense is strong enough with some of the guys they still have up front that they're going to, they're going to surprise someone. In fact, I'm already picking West Virginia to knock off Iowa state because 
West Virginia plays Iowa State the week before Iowa State plays Texas. And I think West Virginia could sneak in and, uh, and catch Iowa State maybe a little off guard or a little looking ahead. We'll see. But, um, you know, Oklahoma State is intriguing to me because they've got a lot back on defense, but they lose Tylen Wallace. They lose Chuba Hubbard. They lose their stud corners from that defense. And we know how talented um, Oklahoma State's secondary was. Texas couldn't even get off press coverage against them in that overtime win by the Longhorns. But it um, it's a loaded year. I mean, I when you talk about five teams in the Big 12 being capable of beating any of the top teams, that's a lot. And, and I think that's good for the league. I think it's why... You have seven teams from the Big 12 uh, with who are considered to have one of the toughest schedules in the country. Uh, the seven Big 12 teams are in the top 15 of ESPN's football power index in terms of toughest schedules in the country. And it's because they're playing each other. Right. So I, I think it's going to be a really, really fun um, year to follow. And, and let's see who can catch fire quickly because Texas is going to need to catch fire immediately playing a 10 and one Louisiana team with 19 starters back to open the season. And then going on the road to Arkansas, uh, a team that has 17 starters back and, and we'll look at that game as a Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I honestly, Chip, I think this is what the big 12 needs. You know, there have been so many years where people would make fun of the big 12, you know, it's almost the, the, Slump buster of the Power Five conferences that in the Pac-12 they've just been really not perceived as really good. I think some of that perception is not reality, especially in recent years. I feel like the Big 12 has been better than a lot of people are willing to give it credit for. But I I agree with you. I think this could be. I mean, there are very few conferences out there that half of the teams could knock off the top other teams, as you mentioned. I mean, think of the SEC. There aren't, in my opinion, seven teams out there that could knock off the top two, whether it's Alabama, Georgia, Florida, whoever it is this year. I just don't think that would be the case. There's like three or four. And so for the fact that that half of the Big 12 with 10 teams, you know, can really be um, present a huge challenge, I guess you could say, for the other teams, especially if there is one that is potentially in the college football playoff race. That's a big deal, and that shouldn't be overlooked. That hasn't been the case every single year. Again, I, I do think people knock the Big 12 a lot more than they probably should. We watch way more Big 12 games than SEC reporters, and SEC reporters, SEC fans make it seem like the Big 12 is terrible. I did. I mean, I have a SEC husband, and let me tell you, I mean, we've had some some uh, some conversations. I'll call them where I have to put him in his place. Be like, are you kidding me? Like, this is not what you see through your Giga Maggie sunglasses is not what is actually happening in the Big 12. And he understands that, you know, too. But um, I think that this is a huge year for the conference. It's going to be interesting when you mentioned the TCU-Oklahoma game. I feel like Texas fans probably hear that and think, oh, gosh, like, it, you know, PTSD flashbacks from last year because Texas did face TCU before, a week before they faced Oklahoma, and they lost both of those games. Um, and that really was the beginning of the end of Tom Herman at that point. So that's going to be a huge challenge. And Texas has fared terribly against the Horn Frogs. And, you know, we, we kind of joke about. Two and seven in yeah. their last nine. 
Yeah. And we kind of joke about how, you know, Gary Patterson approaches the Texas game, almost like it's the national championship game every single year. And I think that it shows obviously on the field, his teams are always prepared for Texas and, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is going to have to kind of learn on the fly a little bit about that because it's not a team that he's, you know, accustomed to facing. Um, it's not, it's a whole new year, obviously, but I, I can't recall him ever facing Gary Patterson coach team in his head coaching career, as far as I can remember, at least. So that's going to be TCU has been mediocre the last yeah. three years. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. That's the part that gets Texas fans and catches Texas players napping because TCU's been right around 500 the last three years. Before that, they were averaging double-digit wins per season. Well, Gary Patterson is talking like this is one of those double-digit win teams, and so they really need to be on the lookout for, for that TCU team in Fort Worth this year. Yeah, and, and that, that stadium gets rocking, too, if you're out there. I mean, it's... It may be a smaller stadium, but some of the small stadiums in the Big 12 are the ones that can be really daunting. Iowa State's another one. I mean, my goodness, every time I've been down there, you get you kind of feel the crowd in your bones and you're not even playing. You know, I mean, it's just they they get up for those type of games. Um, And Kansas State's another one that's like that, too. My goodness. I mean. Bill Snyder Stadium, Family Stadium, or whatever it's called, I would be uh, terrified if I was Texas player. So I've been on the field when that stadium gets going, and you're like, oh no, like this is trending in the wrong direction for Texas. But yeah, I think that's those two games. You bring up a great point with TCU. I think this could be a better TCU team than they've fielded. And I think Gary Patterson needs it to be. I don't necessarily think he's on the hot seat or anything, but because of what he's done there, but he can't have so many years in a row of being a 500 type of team, especially in conference play. So it's a huge year. And those, those two games, in my opinion, Chip, are going to be the determining factor of where this Texas team is going to land in, in year one under Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot to ask for Steve Sarkeesian. He doesn't get to warm up. OU gets to warm up. I mean, OU is playing nobody uh, in the non-conference. Sorry, Nebraska, but uh, they've fallen way Nobody. off. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, somehow they're playing at Tulane to open the season, Oklahoma. That was poor scheduling. Um, but then Western Carolina, then Nebraska, which is, you know, Scott Frost had a terrible team last year. We'll see if he can turn it around. Um, the West Virginia game for OU to open is a little bit like the K-State game last year. It's in Norman. West Virginia is probably going to be better than you think. And West Virginia could be coming off a loss because they open at Maryland, which I think they'll win, but then they play, um, you know, they play Virginia tech, which is a good team this year. Uh, They play them right before the OU game. They could lose that game and look like, Oh, West Virginia is not very good. And then come to Norman and we'll see now, that last year with Spencer Rattler was just getting going. Now he's seen as a Heisman favorite. So it's uh, you got to catch these teams when they're vulnerable. And usually that means early in the season, unless there's some injury that happens like last year with Spencer Sanders, where he was out for a while with the ankle injury and, and then uh, Illingsworth, the, you know, the young quarterback came in, did well. Um, but you want to catch people early. And for Texas, man, there is no 
warm up. It is yeah. all systems go from, from the beginning. So it, uh, it'll be a test of this coaching staff's ability to, to not only teach their systems, get these guys comfortable. Um, they got to feel, you know, they got to act like a veteran team who's been in these systems longer than the nine months that they've had with Steve Sarkeesian to really have the kind of success that Texas fans are hoping for with the Longhorns. You know, I see, of course, on our message board, when I said nine and three for Texas, you know, a bunch of fans said 10 wins or, or bust and easier said than done when everything's new. And I mean, Steve Sarkeesian hasn't even coached a game here yet. Maybe this staff has got it all pulled together. We'll see. You'd hope so. Um, these are certainly veteran coaches. They've been through it. Um, six of them, as I reported, have been to either the national championship game or the college football playoff. Uh, six members of Steve Sarkeesian staff and four have won a national championship. Now, um, you know, Bo Davis, Jeff Banks, AJ Milwee, Kyle Flood, and of course, Steve Sarkeesian himself um, have been a part of national championship wins. So they know what it takes We'll see if they can, you know, get this group together and and have them on fire really from the opening kick because that's kind of what it's going to take for Texas to have the kind of season it wants and not have it go sideways early. So, you know. The opposite of what it was last year, basically. I mean, Texas had – they were on the the right side and they didn't, you know, stumbled all over themselves, but they got Spencer Rattler early. You know, they got – they got all of, they didn't pull off the win, but Spencer Rattler, remember, was benched in the first half of the OU and right. Texas game. Um, right. And that's just not going to be the case this year. You're right. That's a great point, Chip. You know, this the, the script has totally flipped from what Texas was facing last year heading into the season. And that's unfortunate for a first-year head coach, but, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, as you mentioned, he, these, there's, enough, there's enough coaches on this, this uh, staff that have been – in the big game that have won the big game, you know? And so I think that that should help. And I think that's probably why there's a lot of Texas fans that are going to view this year as 10 wins or bust. I don't agree with that at all, but I do think that because of the coaching staff that Steve Sarkeesian managed to put together, I mean, I think it's fair to say this is one of the best coaching staffs that I've covered um, in my career covering Texas. That's, and there's been really good coaching staffs. You know, I know people like to knock Tom Herman's first coaching staff, but that was a good coaching staff. I mean, they won some games and they, you know, they had their teams competitive all the time. That wasn't always the case with the Mac Brown team. That was never really the case with Charlie Strong's team. So the, but I, I think it's fair to say that these coaches are probably the best combined staff that has coached at Texas since, you know, the early 2000s or the glory years under Mac Brown. So um, I think a lot of fans probably look at that and think this is why there should be no excuses. The problem is the coaches don't play the games. <laughs> you know, they have to, it's their job to get the players ready, but then the players have to also perform when you ha- are breaking in a first year starter at quarterback, whoever it may be, I agree with you. It's probably going to be Casey Thompson, but regardless if it's him or Hudson card, neither one of them have started a college football game in, in their career ever. So that is a huge, you know, question mark still, even if both of them are really talented, which I do believe that both of them have a lot of talent and are very skilled. It's just a different ball game when you have to be the guy that touches the ball every single snap on offense when you haven't done that since high school. So that's going to be a challenge for sure. But 
I, I mean, I saw that there were some fans that were not thrilled with your nine and three prediction. And it's always hard, you know, being a journalist, we look at that and we're kind of like, you guys, come on. Like, you know, expecting right. 10 Two wins and in seven year against one. TCU, right? Yeah, exactly. Two and it's seven. Like, and you're going to be facing the Heisman favorite quarterback in the biggest you know rivalry game on your schedule you don't have the easiest i mean what's texas the fourth hardest uh schedule according to espn fbi that's the fourth hardest in fbs college football not in the big 12 not in the power five it is in of the what 132 fbs teams they're in fourth the hardest schedule so it's hard sometimes to not be like shaking some fans like, oh, my gosh, look at what this is <laughs> instead of just looking at what you think it should be. Texas should get back to that point. They have to get back to that point. That's Steve Sarkeesian's job. But expecting that in year one is kind of um, maybe setting yourself up for a little bit of letdown. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong because those meltdowns happen on our message. Board. <laughs> They're not always fun to deal with. So. Come on, Sark, let's get to 10 wins. So, you know, save our sanity too here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we mentioned Chris Beard uh, in Texas basketball. They're still hustling. And, you know, they've already brought in um, really talented transfer players. Uh, the most recent, Trey Mitchell, who probably will, you know, he's 6'9", but he's super long, probably will hold down the, the five position, the center position, Chris Beard likes to sort of play positionless basketball. He talks about wanting to have six, seven and six, nine guys throughout his lineup, be super long defending the perimeter, just a nightmare defensively. And he's building that when you think of the transfers he's brought in from Timmy Allen at Utah, Dylan DeZu from Vanderbilt, Christian Bishop from Creighton, and uh, we mentioned Trey Mitchell from UMass and Devin Askew, the point guard from Kentucky, who may not even start for Texas, but it, it's, and they're still in contention for Marcus Carr, the Minnesota uh, point guard who uh, put Texas in his final four with Kansas um, and Kentucky. And so, you know, we'll see uh, whether they get Marcus Carr or not, it's already been a phenomenal rebuild for for Chris Beard. They're going to be a top 10 team going into the preseason. So uh, exciting stuff right there for for Texas, uh, for Texas basketball. And and Taylor, um, you know, you ready for everybody's uh, favorite time of the show here? The love it or leave it portion. I am. We will uh, take a really quick break first, but we will return with love it or leave it. We're going to talk some Texas football, of course, and uh, a little bit, a little bit of all UT athletics. So stay tuned. We will be right back. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Chip, you ready for some love it or leave it? Let's do it. All right. Let's go back to the director's cup here. I'm going to start with here. 
Chip, uh, love it or leave it, Texas snapping Stanford's string of 25 straight Directors' Cup victories is even more impressive considering it came during the pandemic. Yeah, I love this. I love this. I agree with you, what you said earlier in the show um, about the all the testing and all the discipline that it would take for three national championships, for 13 top 10 finishes. You had some programs maybe exceed where they were projected, um, like women's tennis, and uh, and you'll take that. And and baseball, you know, they they were the number two seed overall. They finished tied for third. Hard to hard to argue with that. Um, and then you know some women's golf did well, men's golf not so well, and we thought men's golf would do well, but they had an an illness you know, to one of their top five players right at the wrong time of the year. Uh, but the bottom line is they got it done in terms of the director's cup. And um, it's, it's an exciting time for Texas athletics. I know that that's not something that people tune in the TV for the director's cup. It's, it's given out by the national association of collegiate directors of athletics. It's very fancy. It sounds they like need, it. They needed a good acronym, you know, NACTA. But um, I don't know anyone who calls them directors of athletics. Hello, you're the director of <laughs> athletics, uh, Chris Del Conte. But nonetheless, it's a it's a morale thing. You want your entire athletic department to walk in every day to work saying we're Texas. We're coming for you. And it wasn't that way just a few years ago. It was, uh oh, where are we? What's happening? Where where's the leadership now? It's totally different. Things are looking up. I'm going to love this, Taylor. And I know, uh, well, you you pretty much loved it earlier. Yeah, I'm definitely going to love it too. And the the difference, Chip, you know, how you say you want the everybody coming in the athletics department saying, we're Texas, like we're coming for you. The problem with Texas is they kept saying, we're Texas. And they weren't coming for anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, we're Texas. Now and they the are. statement, yeah. now they are. That's huge. It shows what it having competent and capable leadership can really do for a college athletic department. And I think that is very substantial. I think people, you know, Texas fans and not just Texas fans, I think overall people can look at what Chris Del Conte has done in a short period of time and realize that this guy knows what he's doing. I mean, he did it, did it. TCU, you know, when um, he was the athletic director there for many years, did it at Rice back in the day, too. I mean, this is a guy who knows what he's doing. I think that it's very clear. And yes, I'm going to love this. I, I kind of already gave it away, I guess, earlier in the show. But this pandemic, it I, I never understood the people saying that there's going to be an asterisk if you win a national championship. It's like an asterisk because it's more difficult. OK, that could be an asterisk if you want to put that there. But not right. because it was easier. Like that's, that's absolutely absurd. Right. And, look at, N I mean, look at NC state baseball. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. They were in the, they were, you know, one of the top teams in baseball and the earth season just ended because of COVID and they were, I mean, they honestly, I think they could have had Vanderbilt because I, I wasn't too impressed. I mean, Vanderbilt's pitching was good, but I wasn't too impressed overall with Vanderbilt. And then I think everyone pretty much saw that after they had, that one game in the college world series where they, you know, destroyed Mississippi state because they had what a week off to prepare where Mississippi state had played almost every single day leading up to it and had like one or two day breaks. So yeah, I think that 
that that's a great example of how tough this COVID situation really has been. So um, being able to take home three national championships plus baseball, having a share of the big 12 title too. I mean, at least one of the three big sports, quote unquote, did do their job with baseball, you know, making it as far as they did in Omaha. So I'm going to definitely agree and say that it's definitely more impressive and it's impressive to end the streak like that too, that Stanford had, because yeah. that's, that's no joke at all, especially with 16 fewer sports teams to, you know, be involved with that. So I'm going to agree with you there. Um, but my next one for you, Chip, is despite going two and seven against TCU in their last nine meetings, Texas beats the Horn Frogs in year one under Steve Sarkeesian. Love it or leave it. No one's going to like this answer. Who's uh, a Texas fan listening to this podcast? I'm not picking Texas to win against TCU until they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at that point now where two and seven. Uh, they have a worse record against TCU than they do against OU in the last nine years. And now you're playing in Fort Worth and Gary Patterson uh, prepares for Texas like it's the college football playoff national championship. I've, I've mentioned that his teams tend to let down after the Texas game. In fact, they're two and five in the, the games following those seven wins over Texas. So he puts a ton into that game against the Longhorns. And I, I think Steve Sarkeesian, in fact, Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinator for Texas, is a lot like Gary Patterson. He's, a, he's an individual game plan guy. He will put new wrinkles in. He's not just going to say, okay, this is what we do really well. We're just going to do it, and, and everyone's going to have to adjust to us. No. He'll tweak the game plan. He'll find the weak link in the offensive line or in, you know, the quarterback's ability to read certain, you know, defenses and they will put that in for that opponent. So while I think Texas can win that game, I'm not going to pick them to win that game until they win it and start showing that they know what's up. I mean, Mike Gundy doesn't seem to have any problem with TCU, but and Texas sure does. So, Taylor, I am going to leave that, unfortunately. How about you? I am going to agree with you, and I'm going to leave it. It's not that I don't think it can happen. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's I haven't seen it happen enough to have any confidence that Texas is going to beat TCU. And it's funny, Chip, um, on over the weekend – my brother's family is living with us right now while their house is being uh, built out here. But one of their family friends, kids goes to TCU. He was in Austin for the weekend and we all went to lunch on Sunday and, uh, or on Monday, I think it was. And so before they came over, you know, my, my family's from California, they don't know too much about very many different rivalries. They obviously know about Texas and Oklahoma, Texas and Texas A&M. And so my brother asked me if Texas and TCU is like a rivalry and I was like, I'm not really from the Texas side. I don't really think I'm not sure how TCU fans feel about it. I was like, but the reality is TCU is their daddy right now. So there's nothing else. I was like, they own Texas in football every single year. It feels like I was like, I've seen two victories in my career covering Texas and they weren't from the same coach. It was the first coach that I covered. And then the, the last one before this new one here, I was like, so I don't think Texas has any 
you know, right to say anything bad about TCU because they've just totally owned Texas in football every single year, it seems like. So, yeah, that it's funny that th- we're talking about this because I and then the kid came over and I said the exact same thing to him because he, he was like, oh, I hate Texas. I was like, yeah, I was like, but you guys own them. So <laughs> why does it matter at that point? But yeah, I think that I think Texas probably has a more talented roster from top to bottom. I think that would be fair to say but until they can put it together, I'm not going to ever pick Texas to beat TCU with Gary Patterson as a head coach. So I'm going to leave that one too. How about that? I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. They beat them in 13 and then they beat them in 18, 13 under Mac Brown, um, case McCoy Mm -hmm. slinging it, um, in a 30 to seven win that was delayed by lightning for three hours. And then in 2018, when TCU got off to a, a good start, that was Caden Stern's best game, in my opinion. He had the he had a couple of interceptions in that game, including one that he returned all the way down to the two yard line, set up an easy touchdown, and Texas pulled away for a 31-16 win. Uh, but that's it. So, yeah. all right, Taylor. Um, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say. Remember that 2013 win. TCU was not bowl eligible. They finished the season, I think, with four wins. So right, it was not right. a good TCU team. The other one, I think they finished seven and six in 2018 or six and six. I forget what it was in conference play, but still not lighting the world on fire TCU teams. They were the mediocre or worse type of team. So that doesn't say much for Texas in my opinion. <laughs> right, right. And as, as I mentioned, TCU's been middle of the pack the last three years, but I think and it's going to be interesting because Sonny Cumbie left. He was the offensive coordinator at TCU. He's now at Tech trying to save Matt Wells' job. And Doug Meacham, who left TCU to go join um, uh, – uh, oh, gosh. Did the Kansas, Kansas staff Kansas. under yeah, David, uh, David no, Beatty. David Beatty. Yeah, that's right. I was new and then, Kansas, yeah. And then Beatty ran Meacham off. Meacham worked his way back. And Meacham also worked at Oklahoma State. But anyway, Meacham's back. And it was Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham um, in 2014 when TCU should have been in the college football playoff but didn't get in because the committee um, was not going to acknowledge Baylor as any kind of uh, you know quality test because of their pathetic non-conference schedules under Art Bryles. And of course, Baylor's, I mean, TCU's only loss that year was to Baylor. Um, Just crazy. But anyway, it, uh, it, uh, it'll be fun. So let's see if Steve Sarkeesian can get over on Gary Patterson. All right, Taylor. Love it or leave it number three. Number three for you, Chip, here is speaking of predictions for the football season, Steve Sarkeesian will score a signature victory in year one. Love it or leave it. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. He does score a signature victory, and I think it's over Oklahoma. Now, before somebody hits me upside the head and says, what's wrong with you? Um, Tom Herman somehow kept – within uh, a single possession, you know, one possession games with OU, beating them in 18, losing somehow only 24-17 in 2019 when they had 15 tackles behind the line and nine sacks. 
Uh, by the way, Kyle Flood, please watch Oklahoma film because Alex Grinch loves to twist and stunt. And your line has to figure that out because for some reason they could not figure it out under Herb Hand. But how about a victory over Oklahoma signature win? Casey Thompson, who I think will be the quarterback, um, beats his dad's old team and causes chalk waves uh, across college football because I think I'm predicting Texas. Well, they will have just come off whatever that TCU game is, but Oklahoma should be undefeated at that point. So um, there you have it. I, I'm i just drinking coffee, that's all, or caffeinated uh, aha. I don't know if anyone drinks this stuff, but it's pretty good. So I'm not drinking any alcohol, Taylor, um, but I'm going to love that. It is noon on Wednesday, so I hope not. Right. So I'm going to love that. I think Steve Sarkeesian gets a signature win. I think it comes against Oklahoma. What do you think? All right. I mean, I think it depends on what you consider a signature win. Um, At this point in the season, I think people are going to look at Texas schedule and a signature win would be Oklahoma, number one, or probably Iowa State. Um, I just, I, it's not, I don't know. I'm going to have to leave it. If, if we're considering those two games as the signature wins that Steve Sarkeesian can pick up this year, then I, it's hard for me to see that happening in year one. Um, not because of anything that Steve Sarkeesian does or doesn't do or anything like that. I just think that those two teams are really good and breaking in, you know, a new a first year head coach with a whole new coaching staff, new schemes on both sides of the ball. You know, they get Oklahoma earlier in the year. Um, but if Spencer Rattler's the quarterback, look out. Cause I think that kid is, his ceiling is huge um, and very high. And so it's going to be really difficult for me to pick Texas to win either one of those games. Now there could become a game that is a signature win based off of how the season plays out. You know, some teams may surprise and be, you know, a a double digit win type of team. And if Texas could beat one of those, sure. But at this point, I think those are the two games that people are going to consider signature wins for Texas preseason. And I just don't see them winning either. So I'm going to have to leave that one. Okay. All right. Um, right. I have one that, more for you, actually. I'm going four okay. today. All right. That's all right. Let's you go with that? Numero okay. cuatro. All right. So the final one for you, Jake Smith is joining former Texas Longhorns, Keontae Ingram, Malcolm Epps, Xavier Alford at USC. Of those Texas exes, Smith will have the biggest impact for the Trojans in 2021. Love it or leave it. You know, I'm going to leave this because our man Brew McCoy is still there at USC. Oh, remember, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> remember Brew McCoy? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, so I think uh, I think Jake Smith's going to have to work his way in. It might take a minute. Um, there is a, a position open. They're looking to replace a starter at safety. So I'm going to say Xavier Alford because I've seen his name penciled in as a potential starter for the USC defense. So I'm going to leave that Taylor. I don't think Jake Smith has the biggest impact in 2021. I would say Xavier Alford and then maybe even Keontae Ingram. We'll see where his confidence level is because we know that he did lose some confidence at Texas. We'll see if Graham Harrell has been able to build him back up because they've been looking for a running back who could catch the football. And we know Keontae Ingram can catch the football. 
just doesn't need to extend it when he's near the goal line on first and goal. But I will leave that Taylor. What about you? I'm going to leave it as well. I mean, should we consider Brew McCoy one too? I guess it How about that? should be considered one. I guess so. Yeah, forgot about him. Sorry, Brew. Um, no, I'm going to leave it. I, w- I was going to pick Keontae Ingram of that. I think that, you know, seeing, I mean, I know they're just highlights, but seeing some of his, you know, performances in spring practice that USC released, I mean, he, he looked like the Keontae Ingram that Texas fans expected him to be. I know it's spring. It's totally different. But I do think you brought up a good point. You know, they've been looking for that running back that is a, has the capabilities to catch the ball out of the backfield and still be a difference maker, you know, running it from there. So I think I, I would give it to Keontae Ingram. So I'm going to also leave this and agree with you. But Keontae Ingram's my first one. I, was, I would say that's going to have the biggest impact. Okay. I like it. Um, and don't forget to check out the uh, flagship podcast interview with Jeremy Hills, former Texas running back uh, was on the 08 team, the 09 team that played for the national championship um, left in 11. Now an elite performance coach and is opening a new um, training lifestyle facility called the collective just off of South Congress here in Austin and 20,000 square foot facility. It's a dream come true for Jeremy Hills. And I mean, he is a, He's a trainer to the stars. He's having a camp this weekend, July 10th, with more than 40 active NFL players, including Jalen Ramsey, you know, Pro Bowler, Buda Baker, uh, Pro Bowler, Derwin James, even Micah Parsons, the rookie linebacker for the Cowboys. And it's, it's a great listen because Jeremy Hills is a true success story. He's out on his own with this and he's got his investors. A lot of them, you know, the NFL players that he trains and David Mulligetta, the, the former Texas student who's gone on to become a super agent with athletes first. It's a really interesting listen. So check that out. And, and Taylor, thank you for, for all you do. And, uh, and thanks to you, the listener, of the flagship podcast. Thanks so much for, for giving us some of your time. And until next time for Taylor Estes, I am Chip Brown. Uh, We'll, we'll talk to you next week here on the flagship podcast. Stay safe and keep the faith.